This is Chip in Durham. Erica in Edmonton. And Shannon in Durham. And welcome to the Audio Guide to Babylon 5, Episode 46, Convictions. It's another happy-go-lucky day on the Earth Force Station Babylon 5. Hi, guys. Hello. Hello. All right. Well, these are chaotic times, ladies. Chaotic times! (laughs) Depending on who you ask, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Convictions. This is... um, This is... Babylon 5's attempt to do NYPD Blue in space, I think, <laughs> maybe. Having not watched NYPD Blue, I, I guess I can't can't say yay or nay to that. It, it, but it is a bit of a departure. I don't know if you all remember chapter and verse of the old Bab- Battlestar Galactica, um, but I remember neither chapter nor verse. That's another thing I didn't watch. <laughs> <laughs> there was an episode of Battlestar Galactica, uh, and I may have even mentioned it on this podcast last year, um, called appropriately enough "Fire in Space," where there was a okay. fire where there was a fire on the Battlestar Galactica, and that was the adventure of the story. But they had to put it out, or otherwise everybody was going to die. Um, this is not a particularly science fictional kind of episode. It is about you know, a mad bomber what bombs at midnight. And um, it it's different, isn't it? It is, but it doesn't feel as out of place as I think it would have. Um, I'm sure we'll get into talking about Stephen's favorite director, Mike Vihar, but <laughs> I think that that might be a, a big reason why it doesn't feel as much like a one-off as it probably should. Yeah, it, for whatever reason, whether it's um, the fact that um, we've got advancement advancement with character interactions or what, um, yeah, it did not stick out like a sore thumb uh, in any way to me. It's it's basically we've got a story about a mad bomber, as I said, and uh, the mad bomber doesn't have a particular political agenda. He just wants to scare lots of people and kill lots of people, and... This is one of the most straightforward stories I recall. It's a simple story. I'm going to give a description of the episode in a few minutes, and there's just not much to it. And yet, it's kind of it is actually kind of satisfying. Um, shall we shall we credit all that to the director, or shall we give the script a little credit? Mm, I guess the script. You know, you can't you can't almost ever really give too much credit to uh, an episode without giving some to the writer. So, you know, with a few exceptions here and there, dialogue, 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 uh, I think the story, (laughs) the story itself is, is actually pretty well balanced and, and, and good, especially like Shannon was saying, character interaction that comes in part from the acting, but a great deal of that comes from the writing as well. Let's get started and let's uh, recap. We're not going to try to recap two years worth of Babylon 5 at this point, but if it's been a while since you've seen Convictions, let's give you a little bit of the reset, what you would have needed to know going into this episode. Earth's president was assassinated. The Narn and Centauri went to war. The new Earth regime seems increasingly Orwellian and sketchy. The Centauri bludgeoned the Narn homeworld with mass drivers. Earth got buddy-buddy with the Centauri. Stress and nervous tension are now serious problems in all parts of the galaxy. Hat tip, Douglas Adams. Yes, that's a (laughs) hitchhiker's quote. 
So, in this episode, someone's not handling it well. A disaffected maintenance worker with anger management issues starts a random bombing spree, killing several people and seriously injuring Lanier, who was blown into a blast door after saving Londo's life. Another bomb traps Londo and Jakar in an elevator together, a prospect that Jakar finds most appealing because he can watch Londo die without lifting a finger and thereby putting other Narn at risk of retribution. Garibaldi's team tracks down the bomber with the help of B5's newest residents, a mission of monks who happen to make a living as information scientists. They take him down as they get his last bomb off the station just before it destroys the fusion reactor. And, much to Jakar's disappointment, the rescue teams find him and Londo. And, well, that's it. (laughs) Insert shruggy icon here. (laughs) <laughs> True enough. So, yeah, it's a straightforward, linear, if not a linear plot. Um, a sort of a... Ur- I'm sorry. Uh, an urban cop drama. What is it that makes this fit in the B5 world? Mike Vehar, anyone? Uh, oh, my God. You guys. Like, <laughs> sometime I wish you and the listeners could experience what it's like to sit next to Stephen on the couch when a Mike Vehar episode starts. Stephen has not gone on IMDb. He doesn't want to know when he's coming back. He, he it, It's an excitement for him, a surprise when, when he gets to learn who the different... Uh, the guest stars are and, and who the director is and all that. So this started out and we've got our cold open. We haven't seen any credits yet. And Steven immediately, immediately starts giggling and cooing at the screen because <laughs> I'm not kidding. I mean, we get this, this, you know, shot underneath the stairs, uh, watching Ivanova and I can't remember if it was Garibaldi, Garibaldi. at that point. Yep. You know, coming down the stairs, the camera, all kinds of camera motion, all kinds of crazy angles. And then sure enough, the credits come out and Steven just bursts out into, I knew it. I knew it. You (laughs) betcha. Um, And then the next scene after the cold open, you get uh, the scene starts with a shot of the back of a chair in the conference room. And then the camera moves from there. There's strong um, handheld scenes later on as they're they're walking around, which I guess does kind of make it feel a little bit more buddy cop movie um, in a way. And, and yeah, I mean, but at the end of it, Stephen was just like, oh, I liked this one. He said, Mike Vehar, again, it's just, he's making inconsequential episodes seem like centerpieces. It's not forwarding the plot, but it feels like something much bigger and better because he's awesome. Those were his exact words. So Stephen was, was wondering, maybe they have been giving him some of the lesser episodes plot wise, simply because he brings more life to them and it helps the whole season stay more balanced. I'm not sure if that's a thing, but it seems to be working that way. That's not a bad strategy. Um, every once in a while, I get annoyed at sort of over-directing, if, mm-hmm. that, if, if that's such a thing. Uh, not, and I'm not specifically talking about Babylon 5 here. Um, but there are shows like Breaking Bad that make such a big deal out of the cinematography. You know, the these giant, gorgeous portrait you know, shots of you know the landscape of albuquerque new mexico and things like that and it's it's such a part of a style and i'm wondering what it is about vihar and his episodes they don't feel over directed they don't feel arty but he's he's leaps and bounds beyond standard issue sit the camera down 
pointed at the two people at the table talking to each other kind of direction. I mean, this is this is action movie stuff. This is creating tension through camera movements without it being overdone. I think maybe it's just he does such a great job of using the space that he is given. He doesn't. And I mean, you bring up yet another show I've never seen. I don't watch Breaking Bad. Uh, mm-hmm. But but I know I do also get sometimes annoyed by either over direction or the directorial flourishes, which are that you sometimes get from a newer director. They're like, oh, this is going to be really cool, but it's just, it's it's direction for the sake of direction. Like 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 the camera inside the safe when Londo reaches in to get the drink a few episodes yes. ago. Yes, and that was the kind of thing that just, there's just no good reason for that. Whereas, as you said, Mike Vejar is, he is building tension using the camera and the camera movements. And in a, a place like Babylon 5, which is a fascinating space station, which is, in a way enclosed, but also in another way, incredibly huge when you think about it. He is putting the camera in positions that allow us as the viewers to kind of get an idea more of the three-dimensionality of that space and of how people use it. So it's not it's not exciting for the sake of exciting direction. It is direction that, that actually gives us more of what the characters are experiencing and then bringing us into it more. And then, as you said, building tension in, in certain scenes. You know, this, the, the difference between kind of a medium shot and a nice close-up on somebody's face is a huge emotional reaction difference in the person who's watching it. And I think Mike Vejar knows how to pick and choose when to do those types of shots. And it just, it works. So, Shannon, is this a edge of the seat kind of story for you? Did it did it excite you? Did it pick it up and uh, shake you by the shoulders and say, "Watch me, watch me"? <laughs> it didn't do that, but um, basically, most of what Erica said—that the way that Vehar can use camera angles and perspectives that that open up the scene for you, open up the area. Um, you know, this is, I I don't know enough about directing to really pick up on a lot of this stuff, but, you know, this time I was able to see, you know, the overhead shot after a bomb had taken out like, you know, a floor in between two of the stories. And so you've got the look down as the crew starting to try and clean up around it, um, through the hole above them. And some of the action shots, like, uh, when they were trying to get linear to MedLab right away, the very action tons of movement you know like it's 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 a rescue operation it, it it would have that kind of movement it would have that kind of chaos and it just seemed right um like i said you know i can't like point at all the technical details but um but the direction seemed to fit the story very well mm-hmm. and make the most of it i don't know if babylon 5's budget was any bigger than it had been in previous seasons in fact i kind of doubt it but i think technology was definitely catching up because all of a sudden in this episode, there's a lot of cool stuff. There's the, as you said, there's the, the seeing the two floors at once while Garibaldi and Ivanova walk around. Um, we have some CGI humans in spacesuits uh, towards the end when Marishi's team is trying to get the bomb off of the station, and they're looking just a bit more lifelike than the humans <laughs> on Zahadum were um, in in the shadow of Zahadum. This episode feels like a masterclass in how to do good television on a small budget. Um, and yet some of the technology is really helping it along, I think. It, mm-hmm. it, it, feels, it feels newer. It feels, it feels less, you know, wobbly set-ish. 
You know, even mm-hmm. even some little things caught my eye. Um, after one of the bombs, we get a really great shot where it's, I think, you know, you're kind of seeing two levels again because you have um, our, our main cast, uh, a couple of them standing over on the left side of the screen. And then on the right side, it's sort of blown open so you can see people running around below them. And there's a, a couple of wires of some sort that have been blasted away. And there are little bits of like, you know, electrical sparks, just like every once in a while cascading down from the top to the bottom of the screen. It's not enough to be distracting, but it's enough to be noticeable and just really cool. Like it caught my eye in a way that didn't take away from the dialogue or anything like that, but just showed me, yeah, this is this is a working space station. This is this is what happens when you blow it up. You know, there's things are interrupted. There's still electricity moving. It was it was kind of visually exciting. So that's all of the the sparkly candy coating, the wrapping <laughs> around uh, around a story. This this was in fact a story. It wasn't just a demo reel by Mike Behar. <laughs> um, so how let's let's talk a little bit about how well written the story was. I this is an episode that I wasn't especially looking forward to, uh, aside from the elevator scene. Oh yes, we'll get to the elevator scene. Um, <laughs> but I I wasn't I, I didn't recall this as being a strong episode, and I didn't recall it as being believable, but I'm sort of looking at it differently today than I am last time I saw this uh, several years ago. Uh, But I want to put it to uh, the two of you about whether this was a well-written story, and in particular, is our mad bomber what bombs at midnight, Carlson, believable? Did his motivations ring true? Shannon, you go first, because I'm honestly not sure what I think, and I want to bounce <laughs> off of you. <laughs> okay, no problem. I think, um, overall, the script works for me. Um, there's, you know, definitely definite highs, such as the elevator scene. The story, it's okay. I think for me, it's a little bit more of uh, the actor, Kilpatrick, when, he, um, when Carlson starts um, spewing off his rant. That's when, all of a sudden, I'm just like, okay, you lost me. That you know, it's not that I didn't believe the motivations, but the actor sort of took me out of the story at that little bit. Um, other parts um, I did like. Um, I also kind of felt like I could see JMS's hand behind the curtain a little bit with um, Ivanova's interrogation of Brother Theo. It just sort of felt like JMS, who you know, a, a known firm atheist, sort of writing. This is how religions ought to be. There, I, I felt that there was a little bit of him kind of the writer rather than the writer speaking rather than the actor if that makes any sense but you know other performances other bits um with londo his reaction to you know how he owes linear his life now then and the scene in med lab really made me chuckle um and of course you know jacquard and londo in an elevator um and also you know the the technicalities of Garibaldi and his team trying to sift through everything um work together to try and sort all of this stuff out uh, seeing the station trying to operate around this threat, um, that worked for me. Yeah, I like I said, I'm not I feel very much of two minds about this episode. I kind 
kind of just kept flip-flopping back and forth, um, just talking about the bomb plot and the mad bomber. Uh, I liked it because, you know, I liked the the race against time and, and the, the way that they worked together and how Garibaldi was smart enough to figure out where the bomb was just by listening. And let me just say, I love the fact that Sheridan had to hide his comlink in his bum, uh, which is, <laughs> that is not a place I was expecting Babylon 5 to go. And I, I just think it's fantastic that it did go there. But when it comes to the motivations of the bomber himself, um, I mean, you know, sometimes you do get people who are just off their rocker and just want to cause chaos and harm. And you see most of them on Twitter. Yeah. And getting off on the power, power trip that 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 brings. Uh, I think maybe it's just because almost everything else we've seen in Babylon 5, maybe everything else we've seen in Babylon 5, has been somebody working with some sort of an agenda or political reason or religious reason or moral reason. And this wasn't any of that. So in a way, I guess maybe it's a breath of fresh air to have something like that. But it just it caught me off guard a little bit. And I was like, really, that's it? He's he's just angry? But I mean, I guess maybe that's maybe that is a good thing because there are people out there who are just angry. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, he he strikes me like a like a men's rights activist, you know. Mm-hmm. He's, he's <laughs> and, and you're right; it is separate from the um, the shadow war. It's separate from everything that else was happening. There, there's just this guy who's um, dangerous and nasty, and decides that you know he had his fun on Proxima. Now he's going to have his fun on Babylon Five. You know, he's he and it's not fun. He's you know he's he he's he's literally unhinged and i as i'm getting older and you know a, a little more pessimistic about uh the way the world works i'm not surprised I, I, i'm it makes it, more sense to you now than it did before it does it does i mean remember remember that when this aired it was um pre 911 but it was post uh Timothy McVeigh and the bombing of the federal building in Oklahoma you know the thing that struck me about this episode was the security theater stuff that happens that Sheridan orders uh, and mm-hmm. you have scenes of people in large groups being broken up for no other reason than they're, they're a potential target. But they didn't, you know, they didn't ask to be broken up. Um, I, aliens having their things searched in the hallways and they're irate about it because they didn't do anything wrong. But they could be they could be the bomber. They could be carrying a bomb. You know, this all feels uncomfortably like today. And it's interesting to, you know, I. There's no better way to get me annoyed than to have me in line in in TSA taking off my shoes. But you look at the other side of it and you look at Sheridan saying, "Okay, this is what we're going to do. This is our priority. We've got to uh, find this bomber. We're going to do this, this and this and this. You see where those kinds of decisions come from. So uh, this is actually almost uncomfortably forward looking an episode for me. Yeah, I I had trouble with that as well. Just the restrictions, you know, breaking up any group greater than 10, all that kind of stuff. I was just like, oh, that's, you know, taking away of people's freedoms is always something that 
kind of, you know, freaks me out a little bit. And I mean, and yeah, and I did actually have thoughts going back to like, you know, the, the Patriot Act being put into place, which regardless of whether, you know, what your political affiliations are and how you feel about that, the fact that I think only two senators actually read it before they voted on it, like that's, that's, it seemed like that was the kind of almost knee jerk reaction that we were getting here. And yes, Sheridan just wants to protect the station and make sure it doesn't completely blow up. But in the end, it wasn't any of those things that, that led them to the bomber at all. So I don't know. I, I, I was definitely discomfited by this episode to some extent. It feels too much like today. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. <sighs> uh, on that happy, on that happy note, um, we, we had the, we had a bomber, uh, we had a mad bomber, what bombs at midnight and he was foiled by a flock of monks. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about Brother Theo and his monks and whether, you know, Shannon, you mentioned that it was sort of a bit of the hand of the author, you know, not just how uh, religious people should act, but also I I got some of JMS's attitude in Ivanova's uh, Mm -hmm. side of the conversation there, too. Mm -hmm. But what did you all think of Brother Theo and his monks Uh, on the assumption that we may see them again? Do we want to see them again? Um, Are they goofy and gimmicky or just a nice additional piece of the human mosaic? I think they're a handy deus ex machina for if they ever need something like that again. Um, I kind of like the fact that they found a way to bring uh, Louis Turenne back. He was the original draw um, from way back when. And he comes back without without the bone as Brother Theo. Um, so I, it was kind of cool to see him playing a completely different character. You know, I'm okay with the idea of it. Um, I, It worked for a couple of bits of humor. Well, you know, once Ivanova decides, you know, oh, wait a minute, we can use these guys. And Garibaldi's looking at her like, really? And Brother Theo's like, shh, we got to work. Go. <laughs> we got this. So overall, I, I liked it, I guess. Um, I didn't find it. I didn't find it problematic. I really liked it. Um, I I completely agree about seeing sort of the hand of the author, though, that in that first scene where where Ivanova is talking to Brother Theo, it it didn't really feel exactly like I expected Ivanova to be. Like I, I understand her her skepticism because that's that's Ivanova, but she grew up, you know, she's she is Jewish. She she has been around people who are religious, and it just struck me as a little bit strange that she wouldn't understand the. Uh, the impetus to just be religious, period. Um, so it, I did feel like it was a, a little bit of the hand of the author there, but I I just kind of adore Brother Theo. I think that he is is hilarious the way he takes control uh, of that of the room, you know, shushing her. I was just like he's like he's like a cool old fashioned stereotypical librarian. Just like you know what you know, I got this <laughs> under control. We're gonna go about our business, and you know, you go over there and, and, and you do your thing. So I would be happy to see them again. Um, I, I do think that this is a nice little a nice little patch in the quilt of of, of life that is happening on Babylon Five. He uh, said that they came from an abbey, which is actual, honest to goodness, uh, uh, location. I forget the name of it, but uh, you know, a little bit of continuity that didn't get blown up in the last uh, in the in the last uh, two hundred, three hundred years. <laughs> uh, poor San Diego. Um, not being overly familiar with uh, modern Catholicism and uh, monks and orders and all that stuff, you know, Brother Theo and his folks look like throwbacks they look like something from robin hood and i (laughs) well all the better to have extras you don't have to pay for speaking or face rolls well well yeah but (laughs) i i just uh, you know i he he just 
I I might have expected them to look a little bit more modern, um, but I I'm just showing my ignorance there, and I'm sure folks <laughs> in the comments will uh, let us know that they looked perfectly normal. So speaking of guest stars, uh, we had a pretty good ratio of uh, strong guest performances to not so strong ones in this episode, and one of them there's probably a reason for that, and we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, Kari Hiroyuki Tagawa was uh, playing Marishi, a character we've never seen before, um, who's basically Garibaldi's forensics and bomb squad guy. And he appeared in this episode just a few short months after a little movie called Mortal Kombat uh, <laughs> came into the theaters. He was Shang Tsung, the uh, big bad of the movie. Uh, he's had a long and strong career, despite appearing in Keanu Reeves's flop 47 Ronin a couple of years ago as a shogun. <laughs> um, our, we've spoken a little bit about Patrick Kilpatrick, our mad bomber, what bombs at midnight. He's been in a lot of TV as a villain. He briefly ran for the U.S. House of Representatives. <laughs> and how about that obnoxious man? And seriously, that's his credit in the airport lounge, l- l- draped all over, draped all over Lanier, garrulous. Who was that, Shannon? That was John C. Flynn, cinematographer for several seasons so far. Yep, that was Stephen. <laughs> Stephen pegged that right away. Was just like, wow, I was that was the the DP, and that was that was one of the scenes that kind of bothered me a little bit. I mean, it not just because the performance was the kind of performance you expect from somebody who's not usually in front of the camera, but just the way that it was written. That was this is one of those dialogue moments that that just didn't work for me. You know, with us in that war and all, nobody says and all like that like that's that's not a way real people talk that's a book thing that's a that's that's a written thing and then you know steven is just he leans over to me and goes how come b5 has philadelphia eagles fans all of a sudden (laughs) wow i swear i feel like that scene was like you know they needed another couple minutes or something and i feel like that scene was solely written to get in the um the netter syndrome in joke for douglas netter the producer so that's I, I, my theory. You've that's a good theory. I also think that JMS must have had a really bad time in an airport and just felt like he had to do something in a script. Well, and this is an, that's another reason that this falls apart for me is that you know we've we've gone to such trouble to show that Minbari don't lie unless they're helping somebody else save face. And mm-hmm. I just no matter how I turn and stretch my brain, this doesn't work for me. Even with Linear saying he'll do penance later, like no, I I think that that really sells short the uh, the mm-hmm. uh, sacrosanctness of honesty to the Minbari. And I just yeah, I would be happy if that scene died in a fire. <laughs> uh, well, and uh, ir- ironically enough, since that's uh, you know, there was an explosion and a fire, linear <laughs> almost enough. died in it. Yeah, so. there's there's that. Well, well, pl- well played. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, the, the the acting in general, our, our extras are pretty strong. Um, I liked the uh, the doctor in med lab uh, telling Londo not to touch anything. I thought she was mm-hmm. rather good. Yep. Um, and like you said, um, having Morishi as the uh, bomb expert or uh, forensic expert uh, was kind of nice. That was a good performance, I thought. He was uh, nice and understated, all business. Um, you know, none of the mustache twirling we saw in Mortal Kombat, I'll tell you that. Um, it is just, you know, just a regular guy doing a job. I liked him. Mm-hmm. 
And finally, and this is not a guest, this is a this is a regular, as a matter of fact, you're seeing him in the credits every week. What a nice little funny bit with Zach Allen at the bit stop at the top of the episode. <laughs> I liked that. <laughs> I like- it was certainly better than uh, than Garibaldi's reaction. I mean, Stephen was put off at the very from the very start because he was just like, "Whoa, Garibaldi's racist!" And I was like, <laughs> "Yeah, yeah, he kind of is." Whereas Zach was just with Zach, it, it doesn't come off as being racist so much as just listen, he doesn't folks, like I got to do my poked. job. <laughs> don't, I don't 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 touch me. I don't like touching. <laughs> yep. <laughs> And yet another bit where I felt like the only reason JMS put it in put it in there was to get missionary position in. <laughs> Yeah, that one I was slightly more okay with because it was funny, and that that struck me as something that Garibaldi would say. That's that's yeah. that's the way people talk. Yes, good for that one. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, let's we, we ought to talk a little bit about uh, Captain Sheridan, who is just not having a really good run as B 5s commander uh, these days. I love the bit. When they are about to break to uh, try to take Carlson down, and uh, Carlson trips a trap and um, gets on the speaker and asks, "Is Sheridan out there?" And as soon as Garibaldi says no, Sheridan says yes, and the <laughs> look that Garibaldi gives Sheridan is priceless. I would love to be able to read lips and to see what it was that uh, Garibaldi said there. But Sheridan <laughs> stupidly announces that he's out there. He sits down on his link. He loses the fight with Carlson, and Carlson's able to drop the dead man <laughs> switch. It's just—it's a hard life being John Sheridan. <laughs> At least for this episode, it, it struck me also the the impulse to say yes, I'm here. That that struck me as also a very Sinclairish thing to do. That you know, if if it had been Sinclair, mm-hmm. he would have done the exact same thing, and Garibaldi would have glared at him just as much. Oh, even more so because that would have been the death wish talking. that's true i really think bruce boxleitner's performance in this was very good i mean there were a number of opportunities where he really could have taken it over the top or played it for laughs you know like the the part where he has to sit down and you hear the the uh, the link beep um that could have easily been just a terrible terrible moment it it could have been a wild take Mm-hmm. Um, but no, he is he's playing it straight and he's intense and he's in the moment. And I mean, I credit him and I credit Mike Behar as, you know, as the director. And it just yeah, it it works for me when I feel like there are, uh, you know, that that could have gone terribly wrong, terribly wrong. But it didn't. <laughs> and then we have one of the most memorable scenes in Babylon 5 history. Mm hmm. I, I can hear you. <laughs> We're in here. <laughs> oh, let's talk about uh, what that scene tells us about Jakar and uh, Londo. I will point out that uh, in reaction, again, to some of our commentators at B5AudioGuide.com, um, Jakar doesn't exactly cover himself in glory in this episode. Uh, he immediately assumes that the bombings are due to the Centauri. Uh, Londo assumes or tries to take advantage of the situation to accuse the Narns of doing this. You know, they're both going after each other, and no matter who you think uh, wronged the other worse, hint, it's Londo. Um, you know, these these guys just hate each other. They just hate each other. So, of course, you stick them in an, uh, in an elevator. Exactly. And it is wonderful. I am... I, I believe I read somewhere that... That scene was was written fairly straight, and in rehearsals, 
Jakar and Andreas Katsoulis and Peter Jurisic, um decided to have some fun with it while while still keeping the menace and the hostility. So you've got um, you've got uh, you've got Jakar saying you know sort of laughing at Londo and then slipping in the menace when he reminds Londo the of the penalty for murder being the death of 500 Narn including mm-hmm. the perpetrator's own family there's no humor there no nope. and then we go right back to it because this is the most glorious thing that could have ever happened to Jakar and Andreas Katsoulis rolls with it for all it's worth it's not i don't think it's scenery chewing do either of you Mm-mm. No, I think it is. I think it is believable near hysteria. I mean, you know, trapped, thinking you're probably going to die. I think that is absolutely the time that uh, you know those sorts of feelings and emotions will bubble up. Like you know, some people react in that they just they just have to laugh at a situation like that. And I think that's the kind of person Jakar is, especially because he has the icing on the cake of being able to watch his you know greatest enemy burn to death, suffocate to death, it right in front of him. So that's with that's, absolutely that's kind of not no. Con- Consequence to his family or friends. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, exactly. And I, I, I completely agree that the moment where he is, he's laughing and then slips into into the rage and then back. That's it. Oh, it's it's such a such a good moment. And I think the um, I mean, Stephen quite liked that scene too. He he said uh, after the episode was over, he's like, well, they they turned Jakar and Lando into a comedy duo again. But you know, because he was actually worried that they were going to have a heart to heart in the elevator, and it was going to be one of those <laughs> kinds of scenes. And he was very glad. Um, you know, he's like, this is good. The, the, you know, what they did with it was good. And I think that yes, they did turn them into a comedy duo, but not a buffoonish comedy duo. It was just the the real sharp personalities of these two characters coming out and, you know, kind of attacking each other. And the way Jakar doesn't even say anything for the first, you know, mm-hmm. good chunk of the scene is just nodding and shaking his head. And it, it reminds me again how you can get an amazing performance from behind that much makeup, even without speaking. Like, he's just mm-hmm. that good. He, he gets it done. So, yeah, that is one of my favorite scenes of all. Yeah, it it totally works. Like you said, that the actors were able to find a a rhythm and a a thing to do with it that made it just perfect. Um, What struck me something sort of about the episode as a whole is we're we're seeing, you know, we're, we're beginning to play with Londo's personality and psyche a bit. He's been turned into such a such a dark character over like the last five or six, eight episodes that, you know, it's like he's, you know, one of the leaders of the um, of a race that is looking to just essentially start conquering the galaxy again. And it appears that he's made his decision and he's sticking with it. And then we get him, you know, ruminating about Lanier, you know, Lanier actually thought he was worth saving. Um, and he's kind of stunned by this. And the fact that, you know, he's, you know, asking Jukar, well, why didn't you kill me? Apparently, Londo has completely forgotten or managed to block out all of those incredibly harsh sanctions that, you know, he he's apparently moved so far past that issue because he's got so many other issues that he's completely forgotten the consequences of what he said in motion. And there's all of a sudden we've got layers again, where for the longest for a, a quite some time, we haven't had those layers when it came to Londo. Yeah. And then... At the at the end, when Lanier comes out of the coma, mm-hmm. and we we have seen throughout this episode, Londo the jerk, and Londo, the sympathetic guy we sort of remembered from early in Babylon Five when he's trying to tell 
Lanier a joke and he's hoping that Lanier wakes <laughs> up. And I think it's, it's, you know, it's genuine. It's not just I owe him something. You know, he he wants he, he doesn't want to see Lanier die. So at the end, when Lanier is actually regretting his impulse to save Londo. Or he's he's thinking about it. I'm not sure he's regretting it, but he's kind of questioning whether it was for good or for ill. Mm -hmm. Wondering about the ultimate implications of that. Yeah, I just I just I just love that. I uh, even as even as much as Lando has done, um, it's still a Shades of Grey character. Yep. Mm hmm. Definitely. And I mean, you mentioned the joke that is I. I, I love that joke. I think that, uh, you know, even though the dialogue occasionally is clunky, I, I do like most of the way that this episode is written. I love the Centauri joke. Um, and, and speaking of the elevator scene, I think that there's kind of a nice little parallel between Jakar and, and our mad bomber in this story, because both of those characters are kind of, you know, feel like not so much they're on a crusade to die, but they are willing to die if they also get, uh, you know, if it, if it achieves their ends at the same time. So, mm-hmm. you know, Carlson is willing to die if he's also taking out the station with him because that would cause such, you know, pain and fear and chaos. And Jakar is willing to die as well, as long as it means he gets to watch, uh, he gets to watch Londo die, or at least know that he is also dying. Mm-hmm. Any other thoughts about this episode, about uh, Londo and Jakar, about anything else going on, and uh, the, the, the just the quality? Did y'all like this episode? I did. I really I, did. I think I did overall. I, I think, looking back, that there's quite a bit more of JMS throwing things in that he hasn't had the chance to throw in, because he's, you know, things have been so focused on building this larger story around what's going on. That this seemed like the first opportunity for him to throw in a few things. I mean, we've got, you know, Sheridan being the the big hero. You know, he's stepping in. He's setting his life on the line. You know, we get the jacket off and the shirt unbuttoned. And, you know, it's all set up so perfectly. And as you said, he winds up making mistake after mistake in the last bit. Um, You know, just sort of things that undercut each other. It it just feels like it feels like JMS needed to have some fun. And sometimes it worked and one or two times, maybe not so much. (laughs) <laughs> how do you define clunky dialogue i'm curious uh erica because i think we all i think we all have these moments in babylon 5 where the dialogue doesn't feel quite right but i can't really put my finger on why is it is it just simply not naturalistic enough i i think it's a con yes i mean i do it when it when somebody is saying something that just it doesn't sound right coming out of their mouth. Like it's possible that a, a better actor would be able to save those words, but um, really, anytime there's something where it's just not not the way people talk, then that's that's what just kind of if it's if it's bad enough to pull me out of the story, then then to me that's that's something I would call clunky dialogue, which you know every once in a while we get. Well, speaking of clunky. Let's talk about the title of next week, next time's episode, A Day in the Strife, which I don't <laughs> think we'd ever see in any other context anywhere before. But but that's coming up in two weeks. Um, uh, until then, you can find discussions about this episode at b5audioguide.com. We are on Twitter and Tumblr. Also look at b5audioguide.com. 
so next time, uh, I have no idea what A Day in the Strife is. I literally do not recall this episode one bit based on the title. And that's not <laughs> that's not a natural state for me. Uh, I, I tend to... Wow. I tend, but but yeah, I have no idea what's coming. I just don't recall. I have I have poor expectations. I don't think I'm going to like it very much. But I don't recall oh, it, boy. so who knows? It's kind of exciting. <laughs> uh, so anyway, that's coming up in in our next episode of the Audio Guide to Babylon Five. Uh, but for now, we are going to start talking about spoilery stuff. We're going to talk about the future of Babylon Five, which means if you have never seen the show before. It's time for you to hop off because the audio guide to Babylon 5 is flying through a jump gate right now. And we're back. And, you know, I don't think people are happy in the Babylon 5 universe anymore. I don't think happiness exists in the Babylon 5 universe anymore. And I think this episode's all about... (laughs) All about demonstrating that. I think it sets a tone for the rest for the season that's coming up. Um, everything's about to go off the rails. Um, I defy you to disagree with me on this point. Then I'll just sit here silently. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have I have no disagreement. I think you're right. I think we are. I think this is a good way to kind of give us a little bit of this sort of background radiation of the way that everybody feels and the mood on the station without digging into the arc stuff yet. And I think it is important to know what the sort of political climate is of, of the world that we're watching uh, from time to time before we get into the specifics of, of exactly what's going to happen. So, so yeah, I, I like this one. And I think you're right. It is sort of setting the, the, the mood, the temperature. Yeah, I also think that's a fair assessment. We, we've got flashes of humor here and there, um, but a lot of it is sort of, you know, slightly gallows humor because of the situation they're dealing with. And, you know, probably the only really good bit is when, you know, Lanier wakes up and Delane gets to smile because he's going to be all right. Speaking of which, uh, his regret for saving Londo, I do think it's a little bit of regret. He just wishes that it hadn't worked out that way because he thinks Londo's a monster. Um I, I think it's I think it's interesting to speculate a little bit about how things might have been different if Londo had died. But Londo's already broken his relationship with the Shadows, um, as far as we know. Uh, Morden's got Rifa on speed dial. So mm-hmm. I don't know that it would have actually made that much of a difference. You know, I th- it might have made a difference kind of in the other direction. If we didn't have Londo to eventually try to sort of mitigate some of the badness that's coming in, in a way, uh, Rifa might have just gone on a crazy tear and become emperor of the galaxy. Who knows? Uh, but I do, I do think the, uh, I do love the line that Linear says, uh, you know, I fear I have served the present by sacrificing the future, which is a very Minbari style thing to say. That is not a piece of clunky dialogue. That is that is just right on. <laughs> so I I think that uh, that it's it's neat to see him to, to see him thinking about that sort of thing, even though he. Well, I don't know. I guess I don't know if he recognizes that Londo was sitting there with him that whole time. He knows the joke. He did. He's he did. It. He heard it. He said he heard it. I think. I think well, he said the- he heard it, but that doesn't. You know, just because it the joke itself penetrated into his consciousness doesn't necessarily mean he remembers where it came from. 
because I, I know people who have been in a coma and, you know, talking to them. Actually, that's that's another thing I meant to bring up is that the uh, the dialogue from Londo to Lanier sounds kind of weird and forced, but that's exactly the way that you talk when you're talking to somebody in a coma. So that's another mm-hmm. place where I think the writing was really good. And when you wake up from that sort of experience, you don't always remember everything, but pieces come back to you. So I'm, I'm a little curious whether the intent was that Lanier remembered that Londo was there and still felt this way or was just sort of thinking about that hmm okay i think my money would be on him having heard it in okay. er, and, and having been aware but um yeah you can diff- claim membari's membari brains are being different from human ones if you want and hand wave it maybe mm-hmm. different heads can canon how as they will um <laughs> uh now a couple of years from now of course lanier will make a much different decision when he has the chance uh, to save sheridan but We'll we'll get there all in bad time. Um, and uh, and speaking of uh, Londo and Rifa and all that stuff, you know, this is possibly the nadir of uh, Londo and Jakar's relationship. But in less than a year, in this very season, they're going to cut a deal, and Rifa's going to get his head cut off. <laughs> so, I can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, but uh, to to see how much they despise each other, and they will continue to despise each other through this season. That's not going to change. And yet, mm-hmm. Londo offers Jakar the butcher of Narn, of the Narn homeworld. Jakar is not going to say no, even even despite even despite Londo. This is this is too good an opportunity to pass up, and they will make that deal. It's it's really a a great layered relationship that they have. It's so you know, along with everything else in, in Babylon Five, there's there's not a lot of black and white. There's so many layers and, and shades of gray, and I I just that's the reason that I love their relationship. These two characters are pretty pretty well developed and pretty dense in and of themselves and the way that they dance around each other and interact throughout their entire entire lives basically is something that just brings me a great deal of joy i think that's one of the the best strengths of babylon 5 overall and uh we also see theo's monks who i think jms intended to play a bigger role in the show um than they actually wound up doing i think you see, you see them in the background every once in a while like a ranger, but we get them again in two episodes in Passing Through Gisthymony, Um and that's a, that's a gut-wrenching episode. We may need to get Chase and Snell for that one. Um, <laughs> and we get Theo by himself when uh, the other religious leaders show up after, um, Earth, uh, after B5 secedes from Earth, but I... Th- I think that's pretty much it. Couldn't couldn't they have done more with these religious geeks? Or if did they turn out to be less effective at Deus Es Machina than originally considered? I don't know. I think I would have liked to have seen them used slightly more than than they were. Um, even if it's just sort of like a, a one-off, like, you know, we, you know, if we need an expert on X, Y, or Z, especially after Babylon 5 breaks from the Alliance um, and doesn't have as many resources as it used to, it would have been nice if that had happened a few more times, I think. But, you know, again, like the great machine, you know, you use it too many <laughs> times and it, it gets to be old. Yeah, I, I too would have liked to have, have seen them pop up a little bit more, but... 
there's so much going on in Babylon 5, and there are so many characters that I really like. I mean, there are probably a lot of different people in the background and the foreground that I could point to and be like, oh, I wish I could have gotten a little bit more of that or this. And so I, I understand how they sort of fell through the cracks. Um, so I, I guess I can't fault them too much, but it would have been neat to see them a little bit more. And I love, Shannon, I love your idea of just, you know, having one or two pop up here and there as an expert in something or other. That would have been a nice way to use them. But say lovey. Lovey. Well done. <laughs> I obey. Oh, any other thoughts about uh, future episodes before we wrap things up? Not for me. The the only thing that I really noticed was just the the linear line, which we've we've pretty well covered. So I'm just excited to to yeah. get on. And I also don't know what's coming in the next episode, so <laughs> that's exciting too. Yeah, I don't. I haven't looked yet. I don't remember off the top of my head either. I, I noticed a you know a couple of mild continuity nods you know when they are discussing what is causing the bombing well is it home guard or is it free mars you know they they do sort of remind you a little bit of um of what's happened before but you know this is kind of like it's kind of the first one-off episode that we've had in a long time that's and, that's and true it, and it only fits into the larger arc because you know there's the character interactions um like you know the londo and jakar that's true. That's true. Is this a is this a forgettable episode? Could we do without the Could we do without the elevator scene and just God no, heck no. <laughs> okay. But does the elevator scene justify this episode? I don't know if the elevator scene by itself does, but I think the rest of the episode justifies the episode. I think I think it is it's solid enough, and just the. Yeah. The, the, the yeah, amount that we learn that, about the you know generally what's going on, I think it, I think it's good. Yeah, it's not that it's a bad episode. It's just that you know for the first time in a while, it's not dependent on expanding the shadow arc. That, it's that's definitely the, only... the kind of episode that would get dropped if we were doing a modern style thirteen episode mm-hmm. series. And personally, I feel like it would be the show overall would would be lacking something due to that. You know, you'd, you'd lose something that I I would miss if it wasn't there. Yeah. All righty then. Convictions survives for another rewatch. <laughs> so it is ruled. And with that, we're going to wrap things up as well. Uh, as we said, our next episode will cover A Day in the Strife. Uh, Erica has the baton for that one. And until next time, this is Chip in Durham. Erica in Edmonton. And Shannon in Durham. And you have been listening to the audio guide to Babylon 5. See you in two weeks or faster. <laughs>